Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of March 2nd. I'm your host, D-Swap Derek Kessinger, joined by the editorial staff of future Hall of Famer Todd Turner, notes master Kevin Kovac, and I don't even know if I can use this nickname anymore, but I'm still going to use it, Big Shot Bob Robert Holman. Guys, it's March. Let the madness begin. Robert, I'm sorry, but it's basketball themed since it's March Madness. I'm still going to go with Big Shot Bob. That's that's fine. That, that'll work. Uh, it is uh, March Madness time, so about this time of year, we start kind of uh, getting a, a a mixture of of racing and and then an exciting college basketball. So so I'm good with it. Just keep rolling. Yeah, and Kovac, we're always talking about Brandon Overton this, Brandon Overton that, but we had another Overton win this past weekend at Livonia. Cody Overton gets his first ever, hard to believe. Super late model win, a Dryden Extreme race. He led every single lap, but he's finally making a name for himself. He's uh, still maybe in his brother's shadow a little bit, but a big win to get it off his chest, a big-time win for Cody Overton. Yeah, that was pretty cool to uh, see uh, uh, Cody get his first one uh, with the Jeff Matthews uh, team that he's got. I mean, it's it was, see, it was a pretty rough speed weeks for, uh, for Cody. You know, I mean, it was his first time going there with a super late model. Uh, they have their expectations. They want to plan They're planning to try to, uh, uh, chase the Lucas oil series, but he, you know, he, he, he took his lumps. There's no doubt about it. I, uh, you seen him, uh, uh, you know, not have the greatest runs. I mean, he had some flashes here and there, but, it was a, a kind of a first timers uh, speed weeks that, that that you'd expect that really has to kind of a learning experience. But I think uh, he made it through that week. You know, he still I saw him at the end of the week at Volusia uh, and he still had his happy face walking around with his girlfriend on a Parkhurst. And, you know, they were uh, keeping their heads up and and then he goes and, and he wins his uh, first weekend back in action. Uh, I think that shows how much. Uh, running speed weeks can help a driver i mean it, it, it really show it really demonstrates how uh a driver is gonna you know running for a whole month is gonna get you uh back in uh you know get, get you get you on another level i guess you know, you know you got a lot of experience there if you make it through that month without letting the you know getting your morale down you could uh you could make things happen afterwards i mean you've come out a better driver and now look at cody yeah he's, he's got to win his first super late model win now yeah, and one great story by Cody Overton at Speed Weeks. Obviously, he took his lumps, as you mentioned, was at East Bay. He's running towards the back of the pack. Brandon Overton leads some laps. He pulls off the racetrack after, you know, getting some damage there and wrecking. Cody Overton made it uh, personal that he would run two more laps because I think he was a lap down just so he could beat Brandon Overton in, like, the scoreboard box sheet. So, I thought that was very funny that uh, Cody Overton is like, you know what? I have a chance to beat my brother. I'm going to try to go for it. But, yeah, big-time win for it. And, Todd, when you see it maybe in the past a couple of family members, you know, obviously a father-son duos. We don't have maybe many as brothers as much. But a guy like Cody, you know, had a great, great career so far. He's dabbing himself in the super late model racing. How hard is it to be in a brother's shoes like Brandon Overton like that? And maybe does it put a little pressure on Cody a little bit? Yeah, we've seen that in this sport for forever. When you have the same name as someone by virtue of being their brother or their father, you know, no matter how good you become or how how good you are, there's always a little bit of pressure on you and a little bit of comparison, I guess, 
Uh, so Cody's going to have to ride that out for a while. Uh, and, and clearly he, he has shown the talent. Uh, um, I'm not sure about to be as good at Brandon because Brandon really was out of this world last year. Uh, but Cody definitely is worthy of uh, the ride he's in. Uh, and that's going to give him the opportunity to to do a lot of super late model racing and uh, hopefully uh, go on and add more victories to the one he had the other day. Yeah, I think his ceiling's very high. And I'm going to ask you, Robert, you probably have seen him race more than anybody just being in the location you are and probably have even raced against him with your race team. What is his ceiling for Cody Overton? I know he got a $5,000 payday this past weekend, but what do you think this guy can do here in the next five to ten years? I really think with Cody, it's a matter of uh, two things. E- equipment that he gets in as far as a super late model deal because you know, we all know how competitive and how difficult super late model racing is right now. And confidence. You could tell that you know his confidence seemed to wane a bit during speed weeks. And after that win, it was just a huge relief almost uh for him he was pretty emotional in victory lane so i think the ceiling is is very high he's he's obviously talented you know he's clearly talented enough to to get the job done but i really feel like it's a a, he has to stay confident uh behind the wheel you can't look at you can't look i mean his brother is a superstar period so you can't look at he can't compare himself to his brother every time he gets in the seat because, you know, anybody in the sport that does that, their confidence might wane a little bit, you know, I mean, because, I mean, uh, you know, Brandon is last year, obviously, in a different stratosphere. So if he's going to compare himself to his his brother constantly, um, that's probably not a good thing. He just has to understand that it's a difficult sport. He's got to put himself in the right position and stay confident because he clearly can get the job done. Uh, it's just a, a matter of of being in the right place at the right time for him. And, and clearly, it was a, a it was kind of a struggle at Speed Weeks. I would say I don't think he had the what he had hoped for down there, but he comes out of it. And like Kevin had said, you know, he comes out of it better. Uh, he comes out of it and, and wins a race. So that's a huge confidence booster right there. And you just got to keep that. And, I, you know, you talk to these guys and they're like, you know, confidence is, is half of it, you know. And, and to a degree, that, that's true. If you're talented enough, uh, confidence is, is half of it. And you have to have equipment also and and. I think that they also had some struggles at Speed Weeks with some motor issues, and you know they changed motors a couple times and swapped cars a couple times, and uh, the whole team did. So it, it wasn't like it was just a smooth Speed Weeks for for the whole team. You know they kind of struggled as a team, Jeff Matthews and and, and Cody. So to come out of this with a victory a week or so after Speed Weeks is really really big for him. And, and I just don't as long as you don't constantly compare yourself to Brandon Overton, I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, big-time win for CO this past weekend at Livonia. And Kovac, it was a light weekend of racing, obviously a week after Speed Weeks, but we had some controversy in Heartbreak Hotel for um, Brent Dixon, who was light at the scales. He started on the pole, led all 40 laps, but did not meet the minimum weight 
requirement at the scale. So it gave the seven starting Kenny Collins a victory. But, man, this early in the season, that would have been a big win for Dixon. But they obviously didn't meet that weight requirement and gave the win to Kenny Collins. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a tough one to swallow, you know. I mean, I, I think always – uh, weight rules are obviously the the biggest thing that could take a guy, uh, you know, the immediate thing that takes a win away from a guy, uh, from a driver. And Manny, you, you get you're all pumped up, you get you're excited, and then you drive up to that uh, scales, and oh, you know, I, I guess Dixon was about 20 pounds light, and you go get the thumbs down, right? And uh, you're not going to victory lane, and that's a that's a crusher, uh, you know, right off the right out of the gate here for the, for the season for, for Dixon and he, and he loses, uh, I know Kenny Collins gets the win. It was, it was real exciting for him to, to get a win. I was one of his biggest wins um, th- that he's had in a super late model. And, you know, but it's not exactly the way you want to get it. Uh, you want to be able to make the pass or, or, or take the checkered flag yourself, but yeah, tough, tough break for a um, tough, definitely a tough break for, uh, for Brent Dixon uh, to, to lose one, uh, you know, on, on Saturday night. Obviously, there's different forms of ways of getting DQ'd. Obviously, they do the tire thing. That could take a couple of weeks, which, you know, kind of stinks, and you never know what that's going to be according to the drivers. And then you have the scale things that happens right after. And, Todd, you've been in the sport a long time, and safe to say you've probably seen some crazy things at the scales, but I wanted to get your opinion on it because you were probably the only one there was the Matt Miller incident. Obviously, he was illegal at the time during that dream run he had when I think I believe it was Tony Stewart's first ever race he held, major race he held while owning the track. And I'm looking at your unsolved mystery thing here, and uh, you know it, the thing says, "Did Matt Miller weigh in legally after winning the Dream?" And you have that famous po- uh, photo of Tony Stewart, Larry Booz, and um, Sam Driggers all there looking at the scale. So that was a pretty uh, wild memory there. Let's just go down memory lane a little bit. Well, that one was that one was one of those where, and I. What what Stewart eventually decided about that was we need a fence around the scales to control that area because that's the problem and uh, you know different tracks that can happen but clearly at Eldor there's so many people in the pits people are pressing up around the car what's going on with it did somebody touch the car did somebody do this or that and so that one was definitely a close call um, you know uh, it, it caused it caused uh, enough problems where they did eventually get that fence and kind of control that area. Um, I think what what interests me most about the scale, the, the scale thing is I, I kind of like to watch drivers, you know, even in heat races or whatever, when they go to the scales, you, you get some guys that look entirely confident. They're just rolling right through there. No big deal. And then you have other guys that seem a little more, a little more antsy or they really want to look at the number or they really want to get that thumbs up or, or whatever, it, I guess that really speaks to kind of your personality or the way you approach life a little bit. Do you go to that scale thinking, ah, this is no big deal, I'm you know, gonna roll on to victory lane? Or do you go to that scale thinking, oh no, this could all go bad, you know? It's, uh, it, it's, it's that last check uh, before, uh, before really uh, might, what might be your biggest victory or one of your great moments of the year, uh, but you have to get through that final, uh, final little check there at the scale. So it's, it's always fun to kind of watch the driver's face or to watch, uh, watch his reaction. And occasionally you might even see somebody that seems surprised that they made weight. Who knows? So it's kind of funny to watch. Yeah, the funny thing about that, Todd, is that was the dream in 2005. Of course, we had a scales controversy later that fall at the World 100 when Shane and Babb was like nine pounds. 
So in the same year, Tony Stewart's first ever year owning the racetrack, you have two scale things where one guy does get DQ because he was light the scales. Just uh, the charm of Eldora a little bit there. Well, I mean, it's you never like to have the race end that way. It's no fun for anybody. But I don't know, Robert, you might talk more about that. No, I was just going to to say that I, I would wager that no one has ever weighed in 300 pounds light. Uh, we we did one time at Talladega Short Track. Uh, we were 300, 300 pounds. We went down there and with my, my stepdad, first time he'd ever been to, uh, to Talladega. And we go down there and, and we're running the uh, the sportsman race or cadet or, or the you know, the second tier there and limited late model and we go out there in our heat race and and we really wore, wore them out it was uh probably a straightaway win for us and we come up he comes back into the pits there and he's heading on down to our pit stall and they're yelling at him waving him down and he stops and he takes his helmet off and he looks at me and he's like what do they want i said they want you to go across the scales and he said, well, they said in the driver's meeting that the scales were broken, that they there were no scales tonight. And so I'm like, well, I guess they got them fixed. I don't know. They want you to cross the scales. So he backs up, pulls across the scales. Sure enough, I don't know if we had to weigh like 2,400 or something like that, but he was 318 pounds light or something like that. And, you know, clearly we're not going to – you're not going to back up and pull back across and make weight when you're 300 and something pounds light, you know. So he's just looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and you kind of give them the what for, and they're like, you know, you said, the, you said the scales were broken tonight. And they're like, well, we got them fixed. So miraculously, when the, the new guy in town comes and, and wears them out, they got the scales fixed. So we – uh I don't even think we. I don't even think we started the feature. You know, we just packed our stuff in for the night and came back the next night, and and uh, and we had to call home and get somebody to bring us all this lead, and and we called. He called back home to, to Fayetteville and was like, "Hey, you coming to Talladega tomorrow?" And they're like, "Go by the shop and pick up this lead for us and bring it to us." And so we still knew we weren't going to have enough, and so I remember we're up at the uh, the little truck stop up by the interstate there, and. And there's a guy there, the race car, and I remember he's like, my stepdad's like, hey, do you have any, uh, you have any lead? You know, we could buy from you. And the guy's like, hey, if you buy us a case of beer, we'll give you the lead. You know, and so he goes out there and buys the guy a case of beer and, and gets the lead from him, and we put on the car. I think we ran fifth or sixth the next night or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, I would wager to say no one's ever been three hundred and some odd pounds light that, that was that was probably uh 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 at the top that i remember yeah maybe the driver was going on a keto diet then so then they'll just lost all that weight <laughs> but uh kovac you've seen a lot of controversies obviously with scales you have a very famous one where you're actually in the shot you're going to cross during the dirt late model dream scott bloomquist why at the scales and obviously drivers are going to defend their honor the end of time whether it's tire doping or you know light the scales when you have a guy like scott bloomquist you go talk to him after the races just hey what do you remember from that night and b just all the great sound bites he told you where he's saying you know what 
these scales are not legal. I mean, they are not. I'm going to take this to the Ohio scaling or whatever he said he was going to do. Like, he's still to this day, he told me at the Gateway Dirt Nationals in St. Louis this past December that those things were off, that he is guaranteed he proved that he, he was uh, legal. So when you just have, like, controversies and stories like that, how entertaining is it for you afterwards? Or how do you dissect it? <laughs> That one was uh, that that's that that one just kept going on. I hate those ones that just keep going on. I don't. I never like it when uh, the the legal uh, legal world has to start getting involved. When it's like we're gonna sue. This is going to. We're taking this to court about the you know the yeah the Ohio weights and measures. They they you know, they didn't have this right or not. I mean, when you get into that stuff, I mean, that's just gonna go on and on and on, and it's it's not good for anything. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe something was wrong there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that Eldora believes that anything was ever was wrong with those scales because everyone else went through them. And that's what you use. I mean, and if there is one, that's one of the things that they, everyone always says about scales. If they're if they're not right, then you better make sure that uh, you go across there earlier and make sure that you adjust to what they are. Uh, that's why the scales are open all through the night. You know, you go on that scale and and you make sure that uh, that you're going to be good. You need if you need to put more weight on, get that lead on, and yeah, make sure you're not going to be 318 pounds light. You know, right? <laughs> but uh, he they, I obviously Robert's a situation. They threw a little curveball there, saying that the, weight, the scales weren't going to weren't working. But yeah, that was I, I'm really glad I was uh, in the pits for that uh, for that dream incident there with uh, Bloomquist and then. Jonathan Davenport winning because uh, I got to really be in the mix of everything happening. If I was on the other side, I, you know, you would, you miss some things that are, they're going on, but man, what, what, I mean, it was just a crazy scene because it's Eldora, it's the dream and it's Scott Bloomquist. So that was, uh, that, that, that's the most incredible, memorable, uh, uh, weight, weight miscue, I guess, what, you know, way in light, that you've ever going to see because of a, other than hopefully it doesn't happen at the million because that would really take it to another notch i guess but uh yeah there, there was just there's mayhem going on you know there's like there's people i remember uh cody mallory who was a crew guy for for bloomquist at that time he's like almost like in front of the car just like i don't know just praying pleading that 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 number goes up when they put him back on the scales you could see it in his face like oh my god this thing is going to be light uh, and then Bloomquist just tore off afterwards and uh, the crowd just buzzing and going crazy. And there was, a, and then you had Jonathan Davenport like celebrating. It wasn't like uh, uh, when you win a hundred thousand dollars, it's still not going to be like, Oh, ho hum. I, I just won that because a guy, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was light. I mean, there was still joy there in, in the Jonathan Davenport camp when, when that happened, uh, the, the, the range of emotions of, uh, of, of uh, weight, uh, uh, disqualifications are always huge. I, I just want to mention one though that I mean, this isn't one the my most memorable actually weight disqualification was back in like the 1990s or early to I think it was 1990s, late 1990s. This wasn't a late model, this was a 358 modified up at uh, a dirt car 358 modified up at Outlaw, what's Outlaw Speedway? Now it was called Black Rock Speedway up in Dundee, New York. I went there, this this kid, Todd Milton, who had never done anything, really. I mean, never won anything of consequence. The, the biggest, uh, the, this would be the biggest upset in, in the dirt car world there. Uh, it was a dirt car 358 modified series race. He beat, he, he led 
He outdueled Danny Johnson, who was one of the all-time greats of modified racing, all through the race. I mean, it, I, I sat, stood in the infield, watched this race, and it was like for the last half of this 100-lap race, here's Todd Milton, total unheralded driver, holding off, taking everything that Danny Johnson gave him and won the race. People were like, oh, my God, this just happened. This guy won the race. He pulls up to the scales, and he's like 10 pounds light. And I'm like, and, and I I remember going up to interview this guy and I, he was almost, he, he might've been crying. I think there were some tears coming out of his eye. Uh, he, he had just run the race of his life. It wasn't like some, you know, Scott Bloomquist is, it was hard enough losing a hundred thousand, but he's won a hundred thousand. This guy had never won anything of consequence, wins a, a touring race and is light. And it, oh, I, 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 I don't even, I didn't even know what to say. I was almost like a counselor to him, you know, like, man, I'm sorry about that. I'm, what happened, you know? And, uh, man, that's, that's the situation you hate to, I mean, it makes a, makes a good story, emotional story, but, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a crusher when you see that happen to a guy. Now I still never forget that every time someone's, you know, disqualified for being light, I, my head just goes back to that moment back at, uh, back at outlaw speedway in New York, uh, with, with a 358 modified race. Yeah, that definitely is a heartbreak hotel there story. But really quick, Todd, sometimes being light, the scales can make you folklore, just like Shannon Babb at Summer Nationals race at Macon. You know, sometimes that can just extend your career a little bit, exceed the expectations on that wild night at Macon. Yeah, it was terrible that Shannon was light that night, but it, it made for a great story. And and there were more wins for Shannon down the road. Uh, uh, but he's, <laughs> he's had... He's had a few things at the scales that uh, I'm sure he wishes he wouldn't have had any of those issues because uh, it's no fun for anybody, uh, you know, to end up losing a race that way. And it's not that fun for the for guys to win a race that way either. I was just going to say that, that I, I agree. We won a race at, at Winchester. Uh, they had double features one night and we actually won the first race. So, of course, you're kind of you're riding that high anyway and not really caring how the second race comes out and so you're like hey we've already got one win tonight and so we ran second in the um the the second race so we you know first and a second well the guy that won the second race was five or ten pounds too light and we didn't even know it till we went to the pay window you know it's like it wasn't announced and nobody said anything so it was like later in the night we go to get paid and you know you look at the envelope and you're like this is, I think, in 2004. You look at the envelope and you're like, what's what's this? They're like, oh, so-and-so was light. And you're like, oh, okay. So we were kind of, it was kind of a very subdued, but you still, even though we won both of them, it was great on the way home. It's like, hey, we got two wins. But at the time, you're like, man, it, it really did, you know, it wasn't like it was a, it was like $1,000, you know, it wasn't $100,000 or anything, but it really did, you feel bad for the person, you know, you're glad that you won, clearly. And you still get the trophy and, you know, everything. But you do feel bad for the person who actually won the race, who you finished. You you do, you know, we were two or three car lengths behind the guy. And we would have liked to have finished, obviously, in front of him, you know. But at the same time, you know, you're, you're, you're the ride home, you're happy. But at the same time, you're like, eh, you know, well, it is what it is. But, yeah, you, you do feel for the guy for sure. Yeah, we could go on with scale stories for days. I feel like it happens a lot more than it should. It seems like these crew guys and drivers and race teams need to get that dialed in a little bit because it just seems like 
once or twice every few months, there's always somebody getting light the scales. And Kovac, you broke this story at Cochrane Speedway this past weekend. For being a light weekend, we had some uh, crazy stuff happening in the dirt late model world with teenage dirt late model driver Parker Martin. He was among several people that got hit by a car who left the racing surface and struck some onlookers during a preseason practice at his family's own Cochrane Speedway. Um, just kind of a wild scene there and something you never want to see, but it does happen sometimes. Yeah, that's uh, that was a scary, uh, you know, when that news started coming out, that was, uh, was pretty scary to to hear that uh, guys at Parker and others had been uh, uh, hit and, uh, and thrown around, uh, you know, when that happened. I guess they're watching outside of turn one and a car comes off and uh, – Parker got the worst of it. It appeared like at, at the right at the at the moment when it happened because he was actually life flighted uh, out to the hospital. And then there was another. Uh, his father, Chris, was also involved too. He had been hit, but he didn't need to be. Uh, you know, he was just he went to the hospital a little bit later to get checked out with more of his uh, face situation. You know, he kind of had a swollen right side of his face. Uh, and, and they got there and it was, a, I think about, it was exactly seven. There was five other onlookers, in, in, including the Martins uh, that, that, that got hurt. And there was, you know, most ended up being some broken bones, uh, broken uh, legs, broken arms, um, some elbows and some uh, sh just general shaking up. And, and actually Parker didn't have any broken bones. They, they checked him out. They, they feared like a spinal injury. He was okay there. He's also okay with his legs, but very, very sore. I mean, just, you know, he lost a tooth, I believe, too, or got some, like, you know, something like that. But nothing that was going to be life-threatening for any of him or any of the others, uh, which was a real, real uh, great news to hear. But, you know, uh, things like, like that happen, you know, you, you, it's not you always go through a year and you never seems like you never get through a year without hearing something somewhere in this country. I mean, there's a lot of races going on. A lot of things could happen. Race cars go in weird directions. And and I know uh, uh, you're always you always got to be on your lookout at the racetrack. And, and I think that's kind of what we want to talk about. Right, Derek, a little bit kind of. Uh, use that as a as a lesson here. This uh, what what we do at the racetrack, right? Like, and we're we've been going to racetracks a long time, and I'm sure we've seen some close calls, and we have some little things that we know uh, of how to how to try to keep yourself safe when you're walking through the pits, right, guys? Yeah. First thing is you always have your head have to have your head on a swivel because there's cars, different divisions going constantly. So when you're walking through that pit area, guys, you got to make sure. Um, I always like kind of do like the traffic flow, like say on the right side of the way I'm walking. I don't like to be the person that, you know, is walking on the opposite side. That's one of my uh, always pet peeves. And even when I'm a camera guy in the infield back in the day, you have your headset on, they're talking to you. That's when you, you know, you got to pay attention the most because you never know if these drivers are uh, going to be spinning out, coming around at you, or they're just not paying attention, looking, you know, putting their gloves on. So it's definitely uh, sometimes – you take it for granted because you don't think it's going to happen. And Todd, one of the better memories I have is that picture from 2010, that close call we had at Bedford. Um, I'm sure you probably talked to Steve Casebold about that numerous times with that photo, those fans going across the track during hot laps. And this car's going full speed and, you know, nearly hits the person. And it just seems like, you know, just some craziness that happens in our sport sometimes. Well, that stuff like that is definitely, uh, um, you know, that's almost, uh, it's one thing to be behind a fence and think you're protected and, uh, another thing to be out on the racetrack. Yeah. Steve, I remember Steve was just like, you know, when he caught sight of that guy, he was just like, 
you know, like you, as a driver, you do not expect to be people to be on the racetrack. So it was like, you know, terrible, terrible. And luckily that no one was injured. Actually, I saw an incident similar to that um, at the Carolina Speedway Shrine Race. I think it was in 2008. I have, and I think the track is a little different like than it is uh, now, but used to be you could stand outside turn three and four and kind of go over the banking down the track and enter right there. Well, a bunch of us were kind of caught outside during time trials. And so the cars are, I think, just starting. Well, a bunch of us are standing there and there's a little bit of a delay. So I guess one guy thinks, I'm going to go across. So here this guy takes off. And about the time he starts down the banking between turn three and four, you hear the car pick it up on the backstretch. And by the time this guy gets in the kind of the middle of the racetrack, if he just would have ran on, he probably would have been okay. But he froze because he heard that sound too. So he just froze and stood in the middle of the track. And so here comes the car around and just barely got underneath him. Um, I think it, I'm not sure who, I'm not sure who it was. But anyway, I talked to the driver later. And, you know, the same thing as Steve said, you know, you see a person, you clearly do not want to strike somebody. It's a hor- be a horrible thing. So, um, so yeah, fan or all of us around the track, you got to, you got to use your head and don't ever run uh, onto the track. Um, I do like the tracks that always have the, the areas uh, patrolled by someone to prevent them. But uh, in the larger picture, uh, maybe what happened at Cochrane here and what we see, as Kevin said, happens a time or two each year. Um, whenever you're positioned to watch or if you're somewhere close to the track or near a barrier or near high speed uh, cars, you need to you need to kind of look around and think, what could what could go wrong here? You know, don't just stand as close as you can to the fence or out on the edge hanging on the track or whatever. You need to look at, hey, you know, something unexpected could happen and we do not, you know, want to get injured or have someone struck in this incident. And I, and I appreciate tracks that are very wary of that by putting up signs or, again, having areas patrolled to keep people away from certain areas of the track. But I think all of us, uh, as you said, we can kind of take it for granted that, that ah, we're going to be okay or this thing is not going to happen. Well, it's always the unexpected that happens that, that causes the problem. And I just think it's, it's, a, it's a good lesson for for all tracks and to talk to their employees about and the teams to talk about is to be very aware of where you are standing or where you're positioned at the racetrack and don't, uh, don't let it be a place where something could go wrong. Uh, um, you know, cause, cause things, things happen, you know, throttles get stuck, cars go into the air unexpectedly, things like that. And, you know, you just, you know, you don't want to get in a position where you could be struck by a vehicle like that. It's a, uh, it's horrible to hear these stories. I just, you know, every time you kind of get, as Kevin said, the news starts to come out, you're like, oh, you know, you, you know, it just kind of like grabs you because you know how dangerous this sport potentially is. One example was Farmer City Raceway. I'm always, you know, growing up or like helping out different people before I got into dirt on dirt sit there and turn three wide open. Well, then after Boom Briggs had his nasty crash there, there's not a chance in hell I would ever stand there. So sometimes, unfortunately, you see something you have to have, you have to see something happen first before you react to it or don't do it again. But Robert, you were kind of alluding to in our group chat earlier that you had a near death experience. I don't know if it was near death, but I'm gonna make it a little dramatic. Uh, Said a car went off the track and hit your truck or something like that. 
back in the late 80s at Thunder Hill Speedway over in Summertown, uh, it's a little, it's changed a little bit now, but you used to could park right uh, at the at the exit or the entrance and exit to the racetrack. You could pull right up there, and, and the pit area is right up there. And it's like I said, it's changed a little bit now. But I had been actually at uh, Duck River that same night selling parts, and uh, my stepfather was over there racing at at. Thunder Hill, and so Duck River got over a little bit early, so I, I packed it in and and hightailed it over to Thunder Hill to watch them race. And so I pulled up right, if you could imagine, I pulled up right to the left side of, of our truck, which is pointed, the truck is pointed to into turn one at the entrance and exit of Thunder Hill. And so I pulled up to the left side of our truck and trailer that was already sitting there. And I get out, and the and the guy that's helping us race uh, said, hey, you might not want to park there. You know, cars go on and off the racetrack there. So I'm like, okay. So I back my truck up, and I pull it to the right side of it, just directly around them, parked on the right side of our truck. So the races are going on. This is, uh, I guess I was 18 or 19 years old. So that would have made my brother like seven or eight years old. So, you know, he's doing what seven or eight year olds do. He's just kind of running around and he's in and out of the truck and on top of the truck. And, and, uh, so the races are going on and we're not really paying a whole lot of attention. I'm sitting on our trailer. We had an open trailer there and I'm sitting on it and my brother is sitting kind of on the back of our truck, our pickup truck, feet hanging off uh, of the truck there. And the other person that's helping us is standing in the back of the truck, I believe, watching the, the races. And there's uh, four cylinders out there racing. And uh, I guess a throttle hung on a car, and this car just leaves the track airborne. Because, you know, Thunder Hill is really high banked anyway, so when you leave that track at a high rate of speed, you're going to be airborne temporarily. This four-cylinder leaves the track airborne right there at that exit and hits our truck right in, like, the bedside of the truck. And it's basically right where my brother had been sitting, and the person who's helping us just grabbed Jumbo by the back of the shirt and pulled him into the back of the truck as, it's, as the car is coming at our truck. And... Keep in mind that it hits our truck on the left-hand side. So if if I'd left the truck I was driving, if I'd left it there, it would have hit them both. But it hit our truck, our tow truck right there, you know, in the in the bedside. I was back at the trailer. Well, it hit it so hard that it basically just jackknifed the truck. And, and there was a guy, I remember, uh, leaning against it on the other side, on the right-hand side of the truck. It hit it so hard that it broke his leg. Uh, it, it turned the truck into him, who was just leaning. He was just leaning against the truck. So if you know, if that guy hadn't been in the back of our truck, the guy helping us, and grabbed my brother basically by the back of his shirt and pulled him in, it probably would have hit my brother. Uh, it. I was safe, even though I was back of the trailer. But it just. Uh, needless to say, we never parked there again. Uh, you know, it, you just don't, and, and our truck never drove the same after that either. Uh, it hit it kind of in the wheel and it messed our truck up. And so, um, 
you just you just don't ever know. And I think if you're around this sport for long enough, I mean, I remember back before they extended Duck River Speedway, believe it or not, Duck River used to be shorter than it is now. But w- before they extended it into turns three and four, I was walking down the path there that kind of took you from one little pit area to the next. And I look up and there's this tire and wheel going over my head. You know, it did, it had come off a car and bounced up over another car, car had hit it and it shot it up over the fence. So like you said, you've got to have your, your head on a swivel, uh, because that I will leaving a car is not totally, um, unexpected. It happens, but for it to go flying out of the arena, basically, and over your head, that is kind of unexpected. So if, like I said, if you're around this deal long enough, you're going to see some weird stuff and and you just got to be, um, you got to be prepared. Uh, every time you go to the racetrack, you've got to be aware that, uh, and if you take kids, of course, too, man, if you take kids, you've really got to kind of corral them and and make sure that those kids are aware of their surroundings as well. Uh, every time my nephews go to the races with us, it makes me a nervous wreck because you because they're like wild anyway. And so you've really kind of got to make sure that they are are corralled uh, if you have kids because you never know what can happen at these racetracks. And it is kind of dangerous. Uh, it is a dangerous sport for everyone involved. And, and you really just got to, you, you've got to pay attention, you know, and I urge people like Todd said, when you go up to watch a race somewhere, know your, know your exits, you know, know, know your, have an exit strategy, you know, even us taking pictures in the infield, you know, sometimes I'll stand, try to put a tractor tire behind, behind, between me and oncoming traffic or whatever, but that's not even safe. You know, down at uh, Meridian, these cars hit the tractor tire and I'm looking through the lens and I didn't even realize it. The big uke tire, it goes rolling about eight feet by me. So they hit it and it, and it sprung it up into the air and it goes rolling by, you know, but I'm looking through the lens and I'm like, I didn't even see it, you know? And so you just, you got to have an exit strategy. Uh, so if something happens, you'll know where you're going to go. Kind of, uh, it's a, it's if you're, like I said, if you're around this deal long enough, you'll see some crazy stuff, and and you've got to stay, you know, try to be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, I've uh, been a low angle camera operator before, and I would have to say a few times I had to check my undies afterwards because uh, it was close calls there, especially at Cedar Lake and I thirty the sprint cars. Scott Trailer told me. If you see a sprint car coming at you, do not move out of the way. Just stand there, and they're going to make the decision on what way to turn. He said if you move, then they really have no idea to uh, where to go. But I don't I don't know if I could trust a sprint car driver, I don't think. I would just have to take a take a deep, deep uh, dive and jump out of the way. But, yeah, just a crazy weekend. Hopefully everybody uh, comes out of that A-OK. I know there's uh, some broken bones, and people at the racetrack – Take her tips and pointers. Oh, Kovac, do you have another tip and pointer or story or what? Yeah, you just like get blow, blowing right by there. You know, I was trying to like to get get your attention. You know, I need to say something else here because uh, yeah, I, I wanted to just second that. You know, when you when you go up to like what Todd and and Robert have both said, when you kind of go up to watch a race, I, I'm amazed sometimes at like where some people will go stand to watch races. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've been to going to races now for 40 years, I guess. 
and I've seen people get smacked in the face with the, you know, with big clods of mud. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, I, I think I might, luckily that didn't hit me. I think I might go back a little farther and just stay a little, you know, not, not get quite get up there. So, and, 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 and you know, and, and chance it. I mean, I've been hit by rocks and stuff. Luckily not in any bad positions, you know, in bad spots or big giant ones where my, you know, guys glasses went off. I'd seen one time at Volusia and, uh, and, but some got people just still stay on catch fences in the corners and, and stand in open openings of racetracks. And there's like, Hey, you know, the, the chances aren't, you know, big that that race car will go through there and, or something, but it could happen, you know, because anything could happen at this track. Uh, again, like I've seen, I mean, I, I, I always go back to, uh, this one world of outlaw sprint car race I saw at Hagerstown speedway, uh, one time, uh, they don't have any, they have an inside guardrail, you know, a couple of like maybe two or three tier steel guardrail all the way around the inside, but there's no other catch fence or anything. And a sprint car could flip into the infield, believe it or not. It doesn't, they don't just go over the other side. And I, they had Porta Johns against the inside guard, like three or four Porta Johns right in the middle of the backstretch, literally against the inside guardrail, right where the cars come across, you know, like the egg to, entrance and exit of the track to the crossover spot. And I think I was like, ah, I guess, well, that's just whoever put them there. I guess they thought it was a good spot, but well, this sprint car got, you know, I remember I never forget it. Jeff Shepard got over Jack Caudenshield's front end going off a of turn two starts flipping into the infield, goes right over those Porta Johns ends up like probably a good 20, 30 feet into the infield. If it would have been a big race where there was cars parked on the backstretch part, he probably would have end, ended up in a trailer or something. Uh, that, that's how bad it was. I mean, he hit a pole. One of the light poles had wood in his quick change gears in the back because he caught that as he went by. And a guy comes out of the Porta John after that happened, walking around like, what the hell was that? You know, there was because he had heard like dirt and stuff, clods of dirt hit the thing. He's like, what the hell happened there? And somebody's like, hey, oh, you just scared the shit out of you. You know, right? I get, he's like, it did. You know, and I'm like, I will never go in those Porta Johns again. I mean, I'm looking I, at Volusia, and then of course they have moved those Porta Johns. There's no more Porta Johns against the backstretch guardrail at at uh, at Hagerstown because that is not a good idea to have a car land on top of you. I mean, I, when I was at Volusia, when they had those wingless sprint cars, that the Porta Johns are all they have a little tent set up outside of uh, just a little bit before turn two. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's not exactly against the, the inside, um, you know, against the catch fence there and, and evolution now is a lot better. There's a, there's a catch fence, there's a, there's a space and there's now a, a chain link fence, but I'm still like, man, these spring, these, these wingless sprint cars right here, I'm not going in Porta Johns when the sprint cars are out there because I am not, I am not losing my life. And that's not the way I'm going. I just, I'm trying to rule that out. I do not want to go in a Porta John. Uh, and see my life end with a sprint car uh, flipping on top of me. So I stay away from that and make sure uh, that's another thing you kind of look at to make sure that you, you're, you're okay. And, you know, like just, just look at your surroundings. Uh, I also always like when I'm walking through the pits, like there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of action going on. Guy drivers will rev that motor, you know, they throw it, you know, out of gear and, uh, and, and rev that motor at you and give you some warning that they're coming up behind you if you're not paying attention. But a lot of people aren't paying attention sometimes when they're in the pits. And uh, and, I'll, and I'm always walking out like I, I look over to the side and I see, oh, my God, there's no race. There's no race car in that pit stall. You know, that, that trailer does not have a race. So that race car must be on the track, could be coming back. 
when I don't see that race car there, I kind of I'll look back just to make sure that car is not coming back to its pit stall. Uh, just as another little uh, thing to try to stay safe while you're walking around uh, from learning from all those years being at the track and, and seeing stuff. So uh, yeah, just, just everybody be careful when they're in the pits and when they're watching races and, and where they, uh, you know, where they pick to watch them because there's uh, anything could happen at a dirt track, any racetrack. Three things there, Kovac. A, great tips. That's perfect. I needed that. B, we know you don't want to die in a shitter. We get it. I mean, yeah. that would just be a horrible way to go. And C, we might have to put a timer on you. That was a four-minute answer. Well, I just wanted to throw that out there. Sorry about that, D-Swab, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. But, yeah, that, I remember you told me that story of Volusia this year because you waited until after hot laps, like when there was yeah, a break see? to go that by the command center for the world of outlaws. But, uh, well, we're getting close to winding down this show. So let's do one more thing. Uh, I'm going to be generous today. I'll let Robert go first. So he, I don't take his, uh, I think, uh, I just like to point, uh, to a story that I worked on back when I was, uh, out in New Mexico, uh, that, uh, we have up this week, Dustin Walker of peculiar Missouri. He had a stroke, uh, like in 2020, and he is uh he's back on track and i wrote a story to talk to him he's a really great guy uh nice guy i spoke with him while i was out in new mexico and wrote a story about him and it's up on our website now so uh you know i rarely do i uh point to my own stuff that i that i wrote but uh but go in and check it out and and i think it's worth a read this week so check it out check out his story because it was i was amazed at at what uh at what he's been through to get back on track so go ahead and check that out on our website yeah robert actually i was reading that right before the show uh great stuff as always and yeah, strokes are scary, and sometimes you don't know how people are going to recover from that. So uh, kudos to that guy getting back in the seat, working hard at it to be able to drive a race car. Uh, I'm going to go next, and I guess you could call him a NASCAR driver, I guess, but a uh, late model driver, really, for now. Kyle Larson's hosting a race at Volunteer Speedway April 14th, which will be live on Flow Racing. Uh, if you can't make it to it, it's the weekend of Bristle Dirt, two days before that. So he's hosting a race, and it'll be very interesting to see talking to Kyle and just the press releases, what kind of, you know, other NASCAR guys are going to try to follow suit, maybe like a Chase Elliott or Alex Bowman who've been racing on dirt. Will those guys try to find a late model ride? And will guys, you know, that have race teams in that area, will they be willing to let a NASCAR driver compete in that event? I think it'll be, it's a great thing. It uh, combines, you know, NASCAR guys with dirt late model guys. So April 14th at Volunteer Speedway. I'll be live on Flow Racing, but I thought that was pretty cool that uh, Kyle Larson, who can't win in the dirt world anymore, has to go to NASCAR to win you know, some races as he won last week at California. So he's uh, going to try to get a big-time win at a race that he's promoting, so that's very cool. Uh, Todd, what do you got? Uh, I've got a tip from uh, all the dirt columnists, uh, Ed Reichert up there in the upper Midwest. Uh, he told me that Adam Hensel, who uh, has had some late model success, but not for several years, uh, is going to be back in the late model, at least uh, for uh, a certain amount of outings this year, driving the number 66 car that uh, most recently was driven by Dan Ebert. Uh, Harlan Breeshoten owns that car. Um, Adam has always been, I don't know, I tended to, I've done a couple of stories on him. He has had a couple of good runs, maybe when I was up at Cedar Lake or one of those tracks. And, uh, uh, a real likable guy and and a good wheel man. And he's been 
driving, you know, not as much lately, but I guess more modified. So uh, nice to see him back in the late model. And that's a capable car. Uh, so I look forward to seeing uh, seeing uh, Adam Hensel of Barron, Wisconsin, back back in a, in a late model this season. Hensy getting back in the late models. I love it. He's always a good talk to at uh, Cedar Lake, and we chat a few times a uh, few times a month. So glad to see him back in a late model action. I'm kind of mad though, Hensy, and listening to you that you didn't give me the scoop early. But uh, nonetheless, can't wait to see it like Cedar Lake and stuff up that in the upper Midwest. Kovac, we got to finish with you. What's your uh, one more thing? I like hearing that about Adam Hensel too. I remember uh, back when I started with the World of Outlaws doing the PR back well, 15 years ago, whatever. He did most of the series the, the the first year when he was just a young kid, and now he's now he's a grown man. You know, he's a big boy now. So uh, <laughs> he's good to see him back racing uh, after all these years. Uh, you know, I always like the like the, the chat with him. Uh, my thing, like uh, I'm gonna talk my one one more thing. How about this with uh, the joiners? You know, uh, the Hunt the Front gang. Boy, they're the big big week for them. Uh, there was the news that Joseph Joiner uh, will be driving for the Henderson car. Robert wrote a little bit about that uh, a couple days ago. Uh, he's gonna run about 25, 30 races in that car. Uh, some special events and and then how about his brother Jonathan Joiner just returned to the race seat for the first time in a year and. Uh, he won a, a great race, a late model sportsman division at the, at their hometown, Southern Raceway in Florida. Uh, he won. He finished second on Friday, won on Saturday. So uh, it was a nice triumphant return for him. Uh, so we'll just have to see now if, uh, if our uh, if our former colleague uh, Joshua Joiner, the other uh, on the front brother, will maybe make a return to the driver's seat and become another Joiner winner uh, this year. I guess it's it's on you now, jo- uh, Joshua. You need to jump back in something, even if it's a four cylinder or something. See, get something back in, get back in a race car, and see if you can join the and make a make a three joiners winning a race this year. Yeah, I remember having uh, Joseph Joiner on Suave Talk last year before their big race, and he said, "I am the best driver in the family, no matter what." So, Jonathan getting that big win, maybe he's uh, going to be confident, and maybe he'll take on his brother one day in uh, those super late mile races, and. Uh, uh, Joe, uh, Joshua, maybe he just needs to worry about uh, just writing stories and making sure they, uh, you know, keep that business going with Hunt the Front. But nonetheless, happy for those guys. I've known them pretty much my entire dirt late model life here at Dirt on Dirt, meeting them in Florida and stuff. So it's uh, great to see that and hope they have uh, good success in the Henderson ride. Well, guys, the show is over for this week. Um, people out there, stay safe at the racetrack. Um, congrats to Cody Overton on a big win. Uh, you're finally maybe going to catch up to your brother one day, but, uh, no, just, you got to maybe win a couple of races at Eldora to get to that, get to that level. But it was good to see him win. And, uh, guys check out the articles written by all those, uh, the editorial staff of Todd Turner, Kevin Kovac and Robert Holman. They have some great stuff as always. And, uh, we'll see you again next week for another edition of the Kirby Borders. Week.